Today in our world, over 215 million Christians experience high levels of persecution on a regular basis. That includes one out of 12 Christians worldwide. Now, number one, high, most highly high-level persecution in the world today is in North Korea and has been for many, many years. And every month, 255 Christians are killed because of their faith. That happens this month. Over 104 are abducted. In fact, I'll never forget, we were, I preached at a church in India. In fact, it's actually interesting watching this Pakistan church. That's actually, I don't know where it is, but it's really close to the, um, just to the Indian border because that literally looks just like where we are in India. I'll never forget years ago, probably about five, six years ago, I preached at a church in India two weeks after we left. Uh, they came in and abducted the pastor where we were, uh, and literally took some of Tammy's kids. If you know Tammy Hutchins, our missionary, took some of her kids, and they had him literally held them, uh, barred the doors, machine guns, all that type of stuff. And so uh, kind of near and dear to our hearts. But 104 abducted, 180 Christian women are raped, sexually harassed, or forced into marriage every month. Every month, over 66 churches are attacked. And so it's one of those things. So... When we, hear, we watch this video and, and when we hear these types of things, when we come into church, like we come in, we're like, oh my gosh, that feels heavy. And so watching that, you feel an emotional response. And, and there are all sorts of emotions. And for each of us, it elicits a different type of response, right? Whether it's like some of us are like, I don't want to see that. Or for some of us, like, oh my gosh, we've got to do something immediately. And the reality is each of us have a response. And so one of the things I want you to hear me say this morning is that we show these things and we connect with the worldwide church in these moments because we really do believe that we're one family. Those Christians and those men and women who are literally suffering and literally watching their kids go off to school, like they are your brothers and sisters. There's like we're going to spend eternity with them. They are literally closer to you, at least spiritually speaking, than those maybe who are friends who don't know Christ. These are literally your grafted in spiritual family together. And scripture really is really clear. It says, man, you come and you mourn with those who mourn. And this, and we also celebrate with those who celebrate. And so what I want you to hear me say this morning is that, is that what I would call a, a, maybe a lesson or a message in the context of maturity for us as Christians. Because in the context of the world in which we live, what happens? We, we get overwhelmed, right? Like we watch this and part of you is like, I wish I didn't know because it would have been easier to live life not knowing. Or you watch and go, my gosh, that's so heavy. I'm barely making it in my own life. Now add this to it and I feel even more overwhelmed. And I get that, right? That is a a natural response in the context. This is a highly emotional piece. But the flip side of that is that we're also a people who come and say, but God, we we recognize even in this, this, God, that there is is hope for them. Like you, you listen to like, there's a church. They're in worship. They know Jesus. And so as we come in as followers of Christ, it is right and healthy to live what I call in the context and balance of tension. That we live in a world where the kingdom has come in Christ, but not yet fully because he's yet to return. And what we then experience is this idea that these people, when we celebrate, they're going to celebrate with us. If you go to them and sit in church, you see they're smiling, they're overwhelmed, they love Jesus, they love their families. They're actually, if they're persecuted, it's overwhelmed, but they're ultimately enjoying life because their joy is not found in the things that they have or even ultimately the things that they do. They find their joy like we do ultimately in who we are in Christ. 
And so in that, we celebrate that they know Jesus. We celebrate that they are loved by him. But we also pray for them. And here's the point. Listen, I want you all to hear this. We don't pray that they don't suffer. Because they don't pray that. The Bible never teaches that. What the Bible says is, when you suffer, when you suffer trials and temptations of many kinds, do not fall into sin, but suffer well for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we were in India, we were literally we were praying for the 1040 window, that part from like like from Africa all the way to Japan, right? We were like starting in Liberia, going all the way to Japan, this 1040 window, this latitude, longitude piece that goes all the way across like Iran, Iraq, right? All these places. And these are the most unchurched people in the world. Pakistan's one of those. And we were praying, never forget, we were praying in India with all these children. And they were praying, saying, God, we pray that when they suffer, they would suffer well for your kingdom, so the gospel of Jesus would be spread and power and revival would come to these nations. And so as we come, we don't pray defeatist prayers. They're not defeated. They're victorious in Christ, but we are coming alongside and praying. So, Steve, how do I respond? Well, number one, go to persecution.org. It's the, mess, it's the website, excuse me, persecution.com. It's the website for Voice with the Martyrs. And just go and learn. Educate yourself. Educate yourself, right? Go and just dive in and learn the stories and the names of these people who are suffering. Number two, Give time on a weekly basis to pray for them. I'm not asking you to pray for the like the 215 million people. I want you to go learn the name of one person or one family on one of these websites and just begin praying for them and other families who are like them. What does it do? It simply takes, I'll be honest with you, when we begin to do this, you know what happens? We begin to have a worldview that causes us to die to a level of selfishness and being self-absorbed in the culture in which we live and die to the things that really just aren't that important because it creates a perspective of what's going on worldwide. Your business dealings just don't matter as much when you find yourself praying for these men and women who are on this website and all of a sudden you go, God, what are you doing? You're opening my eyes to what it means to actually be. Be a follower of Christ in the world, not just in the small world in which I live. So y'all dive into that, pray into that, just see what God wants to do. And have watch as God begins to do a unique and powerful work in your life of opening your eyes to the things of this world. All right, well, let's dive in this morning. We are following, we're continuing on in our study on Ephesians. This is week number nine, looking at Ephesians chapter six this morning specifically. And just to kind of catch us up from last week, last week when we looked at this idea, this whole different world that Paul wanted to awaken the, the church to in the context of what was going on, hear this, in the context of the spirit realm. Like the idea of Paul saying, listen, just right in front of you, there's this whole other world of things that are going on and the angelic and demonic forces of spiritual battle that you are facing every single day. And I want you to be awakened to it. I want you to recognize that you're not wrestling against human beings, but you are literally wrestling against these demonic evil forces that are literally moving in the context of life that you're a part of today. And I want you to be awakened and aware. But here's the point. I don't want you to be, I want you to, to underestimate, right? I want you to underestimate the work of the enemy because the reality is you are wrestling. It's a real authentic battle that you're facing every single day in the context of your spiritual life. 
But at the same time, I don't want you to overestimate the work of the enemy either. Because what we find is this. What Paul is coming and saying is, listen, the resource, the resources that are available to you for the spiritual battle that you are in are found in the person of Jesus who resides in you. So never overestimate the power of the enemy because Jesus, who is Lord over all, resides in you, and every resource that you need to to battle and to combat the work of the enemy is found in Jesus. And so you, my expectation is you can and can always be victorious in the spiritual battle. Why? Because you have every resource you need in the person of Jesus in your life. I'll never forget, listen, when I was like 9, 10, 11 years old, I'm at Cloverdale Baptist Church next to Wheeler High School, right? And the pastor, never forget, he said something like this, and I'm going to paraphrase this, how I remember it. He said this about the never overestimating. He said, listen, if Jesus is inside of you, you have more power in your pinky than the enemy has as a whole. Why? Because if Jesus is inside of you and he's filling your pinky, then your pinky has more power than the enemy combined because of Jesus inside of you. And I'll never forget, I have a quote that to the hundred thousand times when I feel like I'm in a battle, when I feel like I'm struggling, when I feel like the enemy is pushing against me. I'm like, no, Jesus, I have more power in my pinky because of the Holy Spirit inside of me than the enemy has as a whole. And that's the idea we're getting at. It's a real authentic battle. Sometimes we wage war and we feel like in the moment we lose. But in the context of what Paul's getting at, he's saying, but no, in Christ, you were always victorious because of the work of Jesus and the power of his spirit and all of his resources that are in your life. And so that's the deal. He wants to awaken There's a whole world right in front of you that you need to be awakened to and aware of if you're going to thrive, quote-unquote, make it, if you're going to have a successful spiritual and physical life in the world in which I have called you to live. And in verse 11, we said last week, he said to put on the whole armor of God. And this morning, I want to break down what that armor is. I want to talk about what it means in our spiritual battle and how it applies to our lives. Take your Bibles, you can turn with me. To Ephesians chapter 6. Now, let me just say this to you this morning. Now, Robin, she gets a special card, right, because she just flew in from Spain. She's jet lagging a little bit. So she falls asleep. It's okay. So don't knock her, right? But let me say this to the rest of you. Paul ends a letter. Hear this. Everyone pay attention, please. Like, do not be distracted right now. I need you to hear this. The enemy, listen, Paul looks and says, all right, I've just called you to the spiritual life, and I want you to know you are in a battle for your life. You're in a battle for the life of the church, and it's a real battle, and you have to be aware of it. You can't be ignorant to You have to be aware because it's a real and authentic struggle. And you have to be awakened to it. You have to be awakened to it. Because the desire of God for us is that we will not just survive and get by, but that we will thrive and be victorious. So let's read this morning what Paul was saying. I want you to fight this morning to pay attention. I want you to fight this morning to be what we're going to say here in a second, sober-minded. So it says this, starting in verse 
verse 10. We're going to read this whole section. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not your strength, but his strength, right? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. In the heavenly places, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may withstand the day of evil and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the word, which is the word of God. The thing I want us to see this morning is the overarching language of these verses. It speaks to the idea of warfare. This idea of an ongoing spiritual conflict that we recognize and Paul believes defines all of our lives. And the expectation that Paul is clear we, listen, his expectation is very clear. We have been given everything we need in this war to be victorious, to stand in the battle and to not back down. Starting in verse 13, Paul uses the imagery again of the armor of God like he did in verse 11. And it speaks to the, listen, it speaks to the tools of God's preparedness. I made that phrase up. I like it, so I quoted it. The tools of God's preparedness. There are literal tools that Paul names to prepare you for the very real and authentic battle. Tools of preparedness available to each of us to be accessed and to be utilized for the purpose of battle. Press pause. Paul comes and says, okay, there's a spiritual battle. You're in it. Say, I'm in it. You're in it. And so what he's coming is saying, if you're going to be victorious, this is how. And so if you checked out mentally, if you checked out emotionally, it may be important that you check back in. Because he's saying, you're in a battle. And here's the deal. You know it. You know it. You know you're in a battle. You feel it every day. You see despair. You see anxiety. You see fear. All of those are from the enemy. All of those are tools that he uses to steal you away. He sees your temptations. You know the lust that you wrestle with. You know the the literal things in your world that draw you away and that cause you to feel weak. You know them. You know that you're in a spiritual battle. I'm not telling you something that you don't know. And you can't check out, can you? Because why? If you check out, what happens? You lose. Why do you think he wrote it? Just so you could read it to tell somebody else what they're supposed to do? Or because of how you're supposed to do warfare? He's coming in and saying, listen, you're in a spiritual battle, and this is what you need to learn so that you can be victorious. If you're not taking notes right now, you should probably start, because you're not going to remember everything we talk about. Take notes. Listen and learn. We go verse by verse. We're going to define again what this imagery is, why it's important, how we utilize it this morning. We're going to look at it and mean, what does the armor of God mean? How do we put it on? Do you know? Here we go. Verse 13. Paul tells his readers, 
Take up the whole armor of God. What if I made you stand up right now and tell me what that meant? Would you know? So if you can't, if you read it and don't know, then we should probably learn because this is vital to your spiritual success in life. Take up the whole armor of God. All of the items Paul will name in these verses, they literally speak to armor worn by soldiers in the Roman Empire. It was one of the, like, they live in those day and ages where there's Roman guards everywhere. So they literally walk around and see soldiers every day. And they would know what they look like. They would know what their armor looked like. They would see them when they were on duty. And they would see them when they were off duty. They understood this language of armor because they literally saw it every day in the context of which they live. And Paul is making it clear that the spiritual armor that he'll be, that he will be talking about has as clear a purpose in their battle against evil in their own life as the soldier's armor had in their physical battle they were waging all the time in the empire. So a couple of important ideas and reminders here in Paul's writing that are on the screen. Here we go. Number one, they need to remain sober-minded, always prepared for the attack of the enemy. Don't read ahead yet. They need to remain sober-minded. You know what happens when you let your guard down? That's when the enemy attacks. And so it's literally coming in the moment. Paul's going to say, listen, be a Peter. Actually, first Peter read it last week. Be sober-minded. Your enemy prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking those that he can devour. So we have to remain sober-minded. You know what that means. We're always watching. We're always ready. We're always prepared. We're not in fear. We're just aware. Number two, Paul wants them again to be prepared. You don't put your armor on when in the battle. You put it on before the battle starts. I love in Nehemiah, it says they were working on the wall over here and had their swords literally sitting there ready so they could hear from someone and the enemy was coming from a distance. They could put down their weapons and begin to pick up the weapons of warfare. There's a preparedness, right? The tools, the preparedness, we're always ready. We're always watching. We're always, we're not living in fear. We're just like that. We're living life, always aware of how the enemy works and waiting for him to move, right? Not in fear, but, it, but to be honest with you, excitedly. Why? Because we're already victorious. Do you live like you're ready for the enemy to attack? Do you live with a level of excitement knowing you'll be victorious? The idea God wants to make Paul's trying to get them to shift in the understanding and their heartbeat of understanding of where they are in the context of the battle. Third thing, the arming of your soul takes time and investment. It's not a one-time thing. You don't like ah, you don't just go and like all of a sudden, and I'm ready. Like, I mean, literally, I'm not going to go there. A, well, I'll say it. So, I mean, I watch, like, so police officers, I love y'all, right? But, you know, like I see... I see these police officers that are probably a little bit larger than when they first started. I'm just saying. Right. And the expectation is that they're going to like chase somebody down. Right. Because they just got themselves out of shape. But even though they probably were in shape in the very beginning and something that they allowed that to happen. And so what happens all of a sudden? They're not quite as capable and ready as they used to be. They run and then they do this. <sighs> right. And the idea is 
perfect case scenario is they are continually preparing themselves for the moment in which they get into battle and need to be prepared. You see soldiers, what do they do? They're always running. They're always doing push-ups. They're always doing this. Why? Because they have to be prepared. The arming of your soul, it takes time. It's again and again and again every day, right? Which is number four. The armor is something we put on every day. Every day we're preparing ourselves. Every day we're doing the workouts in the context of preparing ourselves for battle. So as we begin, the first question to answer is this. What does it even mean to put on the armor of God? What does that even mean to put on the armor of God? Each of the things Paul's about to name, I want you to hear this. Each of the things that Paul names, it speaks to a truth that is true for every single person's life, every follower of Christ, a strength that God brings the resource that defines every single Christian's life. It belongs to them. All of these things belong to them for eternity. And hear this. Putting them on speaks of grabbing hold of the truth that they belong to them, working it into their life until you have a conviction of its truth. You take what Jesus said, what Paul says, you grab hold of it. And then like kneading it into dough for it to become part of the bread, right? You take what the truth, you knead it into your life. You work it into your life until all of a sudden you have a conviction of its truth. The, uh, the goal is to have it become so true that when the enemy attacks, we have an instinctual reflex to disbelieve the enemy's lie because the truth is no, so real and near to you. And never forget, so uh, Santia, Santia was this little girl who lived in India with our good friend Tammy, who we support, and, and Santi, I don't know, she was like six, seven, eight, nine years old, really, really young, and, and, and you know, she was just a beautiful girl, so when she reached this point, so I'm going to come back to this age, when she was like seven, 16, 17, 18, I forget how old she was, right, she was considered, she was an orphan, so she was considered low caste, and all these people in her school were talking to her negatively, saying all these terrible things about her, that she was ugly, she was not beautiful, that she was this and that, and all these types of things, right? And so she was telling Tammy about it, and Tammy as the mom was like, you know how you get moms, right? She's ready to brawl and all this kind of stuff. She's like, no, no. And she's trying to speak to us, and she goes, mom, don't worry, I know. She's like, what do you know? She goes, that didn't bother me at all. She's like, what do you mean you didn't bother me? Like, they were being me. She said, no, 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 I know I'm beautiful. She's like, how do you know that? She said, well, when I was about eight or nine years old, Tom, uncle, Tom Tanner from Riverstone, Tom was sitting there one day and said, Santia, and he supported her. I just want you to know that I, when I see you, I see the beauty of Jesus. And I want you to know, no matter what anybody says in your life, you were beautiful and you were amazing and you're gifted and you're smart. And don't let anybody tell you. So when Tom told me that, I just believed it. I didn't believe what they said because I knew that wasn't true. Can you imagine at nine years old having the truth of destiny and your beauty and who you are spoken into your life, so needed into your life that when the assault came from the enemy, you just didn't believe it because you recognize it as a lie because the truth had been so grafted into who you are? That's powerful. That's what it means to put on the armor of God. We so grab hold of and grasp these truths into us that when the enemy speaks a lie to us, we go, no. As an instinctual reflex, we just deny it because we know it's not what God thinks. 
And God, false saying, so just put on the armor of God every day. We put on the truths of God's resources. We allow them to sink deep into our hearts and minds. So when the enemy attacks with his lies and half lies, we are able to access his truth in each area for the purpose of winning the battle. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So with that in mind, let's dive into some of these resources that are true, that are powerful, that are capable today of causing you to be victorious in Christ. Number one is the belt of truth. The belt of truth, verse 14. So when a soldier's belt was tied, this is what the, the, those of the day understood. They would, when they would see, when they would see a soldier whose belt was tied, it was a sign the soldier was ready for battle and ready for action, right? And when a soldier's belt was slack, it was a sign that the soldier was off of duty. And so Paul's going to say, we want to live our lives if our belt is tight, right? It was not ornamental. Right? It wasn't some like belt, a big old belt buckle just to show everybody. No, it was really, really important, right? It was used to tuck in a soldier's tunic. It supported the breastplate and it held the soldier's sword. As the first item put on, it represents the foundation, the first step on which every other step was grounded. Again, all of these things were put on in order. You couldn't put anything else on unless the belt was first put on. It's the foundation. It's the priority. It is number one. We have to allow the belt of truth. What does that mean? As the foundation truth must become our foundation focus that we use to combat the enemy. Remember, if the enemy's primary assault is lying that our primary defense and offense against him is truth. Truth is the foundation. It is what we focus on, what we lean into, and what we rely on. To lean on the truth, hear this, to lean on truth, you first have to know the truth. Pay attention. Everybody look at me. There's no one else around you. Do not be distracted by somebody else. To lean into truth, You first have to know truth. And the only way that you can know truth, Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The only way to know truth is by spending time with Jesus, studying and learning what truth is. We have to get truth in us so that when in the battle, we don't have to go searching for it. It is a reflex. It is a reflex. It just wells up inside of us. It is an instinctive counter move to every one of the enemy moves. It's a wax on, wax off. You've seen it. You've seen Karate Kid. You remember Danielson, right? Mr. Miyagi's like, like teach me some karate. He's like, first, wax my car. Wax on. Oh, my gosh. Now, wax off. Oh, my gosh, this is so annoying, right? That's how you feel about Bible study and prayer. Be honest. Oh, my gosh, this is so annoying. I'm just so tired. I just want to sleep, right? Oh, my gosh, this is so terrible, Bible study and prayer. Ah, I'm waxing on and waxing off. Why? Because all of a sudden the enemy comes, right? He, he throws a punch. Mr. Yagi goes, all right, get ready. Put your hands up. And punches. Wax on. And he blocks it. He's like, Whoa. Did you see that instinctual move just to be wax on? Wax on? Oh my gosh, man, it's assault of the enemy. Boom, punches, wax on. The point of it is this. He's trying to create muscle memory of the spirit to have an instinctual reflex of the work of the enemy. Wax on, man. Mm, watch that devil. Mm, right? I learned it. I studied it. I spent time with the good Lord. I know what's going on. It's funny. It's true. 
I made you last so you would get in you better. Wax on, wax off. Some of you have not learned truth. So the enemy punches and you're like, ugh, body blow. You gotta learn it, y'all. You gotta learn it. You gotta get in, you give it a wax on, wax off. Breastplate of righteousness, verse 14. The breastplate covered the body from the neck to the thighs. It ultimately, I love this. It's known as the heart protector. It's known as the heart protector. Why is that important? Because in this day and age, the mind wasn't what they celebrated. They believed that all of your thoughts and your feelings started from your heart. That's how they, that's actually how they believe in the culture today, right? We've just glorified the mind. They did not. It was right here. Everything, your thought and your feelings were coming from one source in your heart. So the enemy, right, got to know truth because he goes after your heart. And when he goes after your heart, what's he trying to do? He's trying to affect, he's trying to affect your emotions, your feelings. He's trying to attack your thought life, all of these working together. And how does he primarily attack you? He lets you know that you're not worthy. Isn't that how the enemy always attacks you? You're not worthy. You're terrible. He condemns you. He tells you you're a piece of trash. He tells you you're garbage. He tells you you're worth nothing. He tells you you're not worth a relationship. He tells you you're not worthy of anything because of the things that you've done, the things you've said, all of these things, right? And so why is the breastplate of righteousness needed? Because you can look and say, no, 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 you're right. I'm a piece of crap. But Jesus has made me right. He's guarded my heart with his righteousness. It's not my works. It's not my actions. You're right. I am worth nothing. I absolutely agree with you. It's calling agreeing with your adversary. You agree with him. When he comes at you, attacks you, and tells you how terrible you are, you say you're right. But you know what? I get the breastplate of righteousness. I am in right standing with my God because he cleansed me on the cross. He's made me pure. Hebrews 10 says, God has made perfect forever me, that person who's being made holy. So take that. I am worthless, but in his eyes, I am righteous. I am in right standing. I am clean. So take that. If you want to argue that point anymore, you deal with my dad. And he'll tell you what he thinks about me. He will tell you. I know who I used to be. I know who I used to be. I've been washed, brother. I've been washed. I'm clean in his eyes, God's eyes. So you can't attack my emotions and my feelings right here anymore, right? I know the truth. And i got a heart protector. His name is Jesus. Come in. Here we go. Next one, man. This is good, isn't it? Gospel of the shoes of the gospel of peace. I got much more excited and anticipated in this message. I was like, eh, right, man. This is so good, man. You know why? Because I listen. I know your stories. I know your stories. Eighty percent of you, I can tell you something where you've been attacked. And I sit here as a pastor in my heart. I want to do battle for you. And I want you to do battle. I don't want you to lose to despair and anxiety and fears anymore. Just feel it inside of me. Every bit of that. Shoes of the gospel of peace, verse 15, the days of Paul. I love this military shoes. Get the picture. They had large spikes in them. With which that gave them great footing and allowed them to cross difficult terrain. I love that. Like these masses. So, so this, the Roman Empire, they had these unique shoes with these huge spikes. So wherever they walked, no matter what the terrain was, they had great footing. So why? So they could go on the offensive and do battle. 
Hear this, everyone, very clearly. Paul is not teaching them how to defend against the enemy only. He's teaching them how to go on the offensive and win the battle. He's saying, once you put those shoes on, guys, we're about to go march into the enemy's camp. We're going to kick butt and take names. It's going to be awesome, the power of Jesus. So I want you to put them on. Get your feet ready. Why? Because of the gospel of Jesus. Mm, My gospel. It's my good news. We're going to go. We're going to go. Part of it is it speaks to preparedness. We're prepared, yes, for the onslaught of the enemy, right? But even more so, he wants us to be prepared with the gospel. What is that? Just the good news of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and sending of his spirit and power. So here's the deal, and hear this. When I say gospel, I absolutely mean Jesus' ability to save those who are separated from him. I absolutely mean that. But the good news of Jesus is far richer than just salvation of your spirit. If I say to you, you're a Christian, right, and you're going to die tomorrow from from malnutrition, and I give you food, is that good news? Yes. If I look at you and say, you're a Christian, but you're demonically oppressed, and I'm going to pray to set you free, is the freedom good news? Yes. And so what Paul, what Paul is saying is, it's not just, it's not just the shoes of the gospel because people saved from their sins. It's saved from every effect that the enemy has brought on a broken world. So it's physical and spiritual. Why is that important? Because you can look at a person and you can go and pray for them for healing. You can pray for them to be set free. You can pray for them to have salvation, and all of that represents what the power of God's good news can do in a person's life. And you are to set your feet every day in an offensive stature for the purpose of going and bringing that everywhere that you go. Why? Because it's already true for you. We keep on going here, right? You give away what's good, right? Shield of faith, verse 16. Shield of faith. I love this verse. It says, in all circumstances... Take up the shield of faith. I love that because what Paul is saying in every situation, whether you're on the defense or the offensive, whether you're just sitting back and you're in a moment of, of resting in the Lord, whatever it looks like in all of these circumstances, in every single moment, I want you to exercise faith. I love that, right? And every assault the enemy, they are to lean into and trust Jesus. That's the idea of faith. I lean into and I trust Jesus with what? The battle. In every situation, I lean into faith, right? I love that the, the shields of Roman soldiers, this is really cool. They were four feet tall and two and a half feet wide. The, the swords, four feet tall and two and a half feet wide, covered like this leathery substance, so you could literally put them in water, and when you brought them back up, what would they do? Fiery art darts or fiery arrows would be shot from the enemy. They would, they would, they would hit, and they would and just sizzle out. So Paul's going to say, man, faith is like that to the enemy. He's shooting fiery darts all day long, more like this, right? He's shooting fiery darts all day long. In every situation, you were exercising faith. How do those things come? They can come in the thought life. They can come in the physical, all of these things, right? But we have to live at this place of faith. But here's the point. Hear this. The source of faith is an understanding and a conviction of God's faithfulness. Our faith is birthed out of our understanding of God being faithful. 
You can't have faith in someone that you don't think is faithful. You can't have faith and confidence and lean into someone if you think that they're going to fail you. So Paul is coming and saying, no, no, you have it's faith. God is always faithful. Lean into his faithfulness and trust that in all situations he is going to move, right? Our confidence in life and all the word is birthed out of response. What? To God's promise to be near to us, to fight for us, and to never leave us. It is an offensive weapon, something we exercise at all times. And here's the thing. Hear this. Faith is never something you have to ask for. Why? Well, it's a resource that he already provides, so it's already inside of you. It's simply just grabbing hold of what you already possess. The scripture tells in 1 Corinthians, he's given each one of us a measure of faith, which has to be at least the size of a mustard seed. The Bible tells us, Jesus said even, that the faith of a mustard seed, you can say what you can tell what? A mountain to be picked up and cast into the sea. Why? We already possess that which we need to move mountains into oceans. It's in you. And it's simply grabbing hold of. And so I look at it and go this. God, I don't feel like I have faith. The enemy has literally blinded and stolen from me an understanding of your faithfulness that you're good. So Jesus, help me because I can't make, I can't grab hold of faith by myself. Don't beat yourself up that you're not exercising faith. Just ask Jesus to come alongside and help you. Say, God, I'm having a really hard time. Would you awaken me again to what's already inside of me? Does that make sense? Here we go. Helmet of salvation, verse 17. The greatest truth we rest in at all times. Our salvation is the greatest truth we rest in at all times. God's salvation is the ultimate assurance of your protection. Because God doesn't walk into the enemy's camp, purchase you with his own life, to then pull you out, put you in a safe place and say, see ya. That's not what he does. He says, I want to save you. And then what? I, this, these, are, these are truths you have to get a hold of. These are things I use. All, I'm just, all the truths I'm giving you today are things that I use in the battle, okay? So I say, so I say I've been pulled out because Jesus promised that he would finish the work that he started with me. Therefore, if he's going to finish the work, he has to stay with me. And if he never promises to never leave me or forsake me, that means he's always working on me. He's always in me. So he's always saving me. So I'm always with him so the enemy can't win. He's with me. He's saved me. Speaks to the work of God on our behalf. He's for us, not against us. Which leads to the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, verse 17. I want you to hear this. Historically speaking, you all know this. The, the church has always defined this as scripture, right? The word of God. And doing so is absolutely right. Right? When Jesus was combating Satan in Luke 4 uh, during his 30 days of temptation in the wilderness, right? And every temptation, what did Jesus do? He responded with usually a scripture from Deuteronomy, from the Old Testament to combat it. And he says, bow down and worship me and I will give you all of these things. And Jesus says, you only worship, you shall only worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And it says that Satan left, right? So there's this beautiful reality of the power of scripture, specifically the Old Testament for them, but obviously for us it represents the New Testament also. And so we have to get scripture into us, right? It's a wax on, wax off. That's why you read it. So that, I mean, have you ever had that moment when all of a sudden something comes at you and you find yourself mentally just quoting a scripture that's true and it has power? 
Right? So it's a wax on, wax on. It's why you get it in you. It's why you do your quiet times, right? Spend time with the Lord. Spend time like in scripture and in prayer to get it into you. But let me say this also, which is really just really interesting. I encourage you to study this yourself. When you look at the phrase word of God, it's interesting to know that the Greek usage here is actually the word rhema, which speaks to a prophetic word or a divine utterance, right? Something that we quote unquote outside of scripture that God in your personal time with you is just speaking over you, right? So simply, so simply say that many times God speaks words of love or affection or even direction to us during our quiet times or during times of prayer, maybe someone else speaking a word of God into your life, right? And those words, although they're not equal with scripture, they have a high, high level of importance of doing the battle against the enemy. Why? Because when I'm in my prayer time or someone shares a word with me that I know is from the Lord, what is that? Who's that word from? It's from the Lord. And so I can tell you, literally, I've had these moments. I, I can tell you the stories, literally. I, like, I'll never forget I was in India many, many moons ago, and I, I'm like feel this pressure and anxiety and wait in the middle of the night. And the Lord speaks over me, and I'm not going to get into the whole thing. It's a long story. But I hear the Lord say, I said, God, how do I, how do I battle? He says, it's by my grace, my ability in you. I'll be honest with you, when the enemy attacks, I hear that voice that God spoke into that moment at 2.30 in the morning. It's by my grace, which is simply what the Bible says, right? And I say, God, it's by your grace that I'm saved, not by my own work. So, Lord, I lean into you. God is using, God is using that word that he spoke, right, in the moment. So, God, whatever it is, so here's the point. Like, have you ever had victory in a moment because of someone's wisdom that was given to you? whether it's a human being, whatever it was, where do you think wisdom comes from? From a person? I mean, wisdom is simply the word of God through a person in a moment to bring victory, to bring breakthrough. So if you look and say, well, this person said this, okay, well, actually it's Jesus, all right, through them. And so the idea is that there's these words that God speaks, we latch onto them, practically speaking. If you're sitting there someday with a great conviction while reading scripture in your prayer time, whatever it is, Please write it down. Do you know why? Because you forget things. You forget things. Write these things down that God speaks in the moment. These levels of truth that bring breakthrough in your life. So, to end our time this morning, I want to encourage you to search your own heart. I want to encourage you to search your own mind in this season. I want you to be honest with yourself about the message of Paul here. Here are four questions that I want you to consider. Number one, are you sober-minded and aware of the spiritual battle you're in every day? Like, are you aware or are you ignorant? Just be honest with yourself. Are you ignorant or are you aware? Are you sober-minded? Are you living your life in this context, right, of, of preparedness, recognizing the tools that are available to you? Are you sober-minded and aware that there's just a world right in front of you that your eyes can't see? Number two, do you have an animosity towards someone today that is unwarranted, recognizing your battles not against flesh and blood? Think about people that you hate, that you're angry with, people that you have distance with, all these things that you, com- that you blame or put blame on them for. It's unwarranted. Now, listen, they may have done some things, but the idea, the ultimate battle, it's not against them. They're not your enemy. They're a human being. And we have to recognize that our primary battle is against the enemy. We recognize, let God awaken us from this unhealthy animosity we have towards human beings. Third, has God's truth in you become instinctive, a natural reflex, reflex of your spiritual life? 
Has God's truth in you become instinctive, a wax on, wax off? If not, then grow, be intentional and allow that to happen. And the last thing, are you confident in and accessing God's armor on a daily basis? Or do you cower in fear when faced with an assault of the enemy? What do you do? Are you confident in and accessing God's armor on a daily basis? Last night, and I'll just be honest with you, our girls probably don't know this, but last night, Randall had one of those like uh, um, uh, marriage moments, right? Where we weren't getting along very well, right? And we kind of had this kind of like this like moment of like tension, right? Where maybe we may have raised our voice to a couple of decibel levels, right? And so we had one of those moments. You know what I'm talking about? One of those like very passionate, very frustrated moments. And so in that moment, Right? Like, I, 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 I just do what you're supposed to do. I just run away, and right, she runs away, and we kind of do it our own places. And the idea was to cool down. So, we're having our moments, and so I am my own thoughts, right, while I'm watching football games. So, having my own moments, and having my own moment, I'm thinking, right? Your brain's engaged on both levels. And so, I'm having this moment, and I'm sitting there, I'm like replaying the whole thing. I'm replaying the whole thing, right? Because in that moment, Randall very much felt like my enemy. She very, very much felt like the antagonist against my place of solitude, right, in life. She felt like the enemy in the moment, right? And I felt very justified, right? Like I can tell you everything that she was wrong about, right? Just very single-mindedly in my own steep focus, right? I could tell you all of those things. I'm not going to, right? But I could, right? In that mindset, right? And then like, ah, and just like totally like, Justify my little lawyers like you're so right, Steve. You're so that was so unjust. Da, 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 da. You know what I'm talking about, right? And in that moment, I just hear the voice of the Lord say, "She is not your enemy. She is not your enemy. She's flesh and blood. I need you two to be together and to be strong because you only impact the kingdom when you were one, not separated." This is the conversation Dad had with me last night. I had to go, and I literally, it's like, because I always had, you always had to repent before the Lord first, right? God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I spoke to your daughter that way. I apologize. I apologize. I went to Randall. I, I went to bed early. She wasn't doing her thing. So I went to bed early, woke up. First thing we talked, I said, I need to apologize for these. She's like, what for? Right? I said, all of these things. Right? And she had an apology in return, right? <laughs> healthy marriage moment, it's always healthy to own your own stuff, right? But it was that. She wasn't my enemy. We needed each other. Those I'm most opposed with, most often those are the relationships that God really wants to use to mend, to bring about great victory. Just saying. And we have to recognize, man, our wrestle, our battle is not against flesh and blood. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't ready in the moment, right? But then I had to, like, I had to like remember. I had to remind myself. I'm like, yes, yeah, so it was like, wax on, wax off. And God, oh, my gosh, clarity. Oh, what's going on here? It's imperative in the battle you find clarity and find Jesus so you can actually know what he's thinking. If you can't find his thoughts, then you're in a dangerous place. That's the heart of the Lord. And Paul's saying, because when you do, when you find truth, it's the beginning. And everything else like dominoes tumbles into all of these places and you will be victorious. Let's pray. Father, we've gone a long time, but I thank you for your presence with us. It's definitely warm, Jesus. So I hope you help, help, help us remember hell so we don't go there, Jesus. But this morning I pray, Lord, that you would move in power. 
in the lives of your people. I pray, Jesus, that you would speak truth in the moment. I pray that you would awaken us, Lord, to your heart. And I pray that you would help us to see the things that you see. We are in a battle. It is real. And there are all of these things, Lord, that are opposed to us and coming against us. And I ask this morning, Lord, that you would simply awaken us and draw us to a place, Lord, of release, of understanding, a place, God, of truth. And that you would break down the walls that the enemy, we've allowed the enemy to build in our lives. Holy Spirit, we say, come. This morning, we are officially done with our service, so you can leave. Uh, when you're ready, I just a reminder, there's a that meet and greet for, for Ginger after the service in the community room. encourage you to go meet with her and connect with her. Offering baskets are available. We have ministry teams on both sides, and we have communion available every Sunday. But here's what I'm saying for you this morning. This is Allow the Lord, I know it's getting late, but I want to ask to take a moment and say, God, search me and have me in these areas about these places these places that the enemy is grabbing hold of and speaking lies to you and you don't even realize it and ask the Lord today to begin his work of awaking you to truth so that maybe today today can be a moment of breakthrough can be the moment of your salvation the moment of speaking in and moving into excuse me, moving into the peace that he has for you if you respond to the Lord leads, you guys have a great week.